everyone and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast based on writers sitting around drinking coffee and or occasionally spirits and talking about anything and everything. We may use explicit language and will almost certainly drop F-bombs, but that is not the point or the drive of the content, so consider us PG-13. There will be rants and raves and occasional readings. There will be conflicting creative advice driven by at least three completely disparate points of view. Your hosts through this adventure today are Chaz Brenchley, myself, Jeannie Warner, and today's guest host, Judith Zepeshi. This is episode six. I'm calling it, Is Your Story, Strictly Speaking, Legal? <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you more about our guest host uh, here on the couch in the coffee lounge. Judith Zepeshi is an intellectual property and privacy lawyer and one of the founding partners of Hip Legal. Say hello to the listeners, Judith. <laughs> hello. I specifically invited Judith because of an episode a couple weeks ago in which I told you about I showed up in the morning at the coffee couch with the great story about Luca Brasi. And I was excited. And I told you about how Chaz, Chaz, you rained on my parade. I did. I'm a parade rainer. Yes. And so I thought for everyone here who's had a topic about fanfic or game writing or wor- using a world or ideas of another, let's talk about what's legal, what's not, and how to make their story sell. So I was going to say, Judith, to start off, can you tell everybody the difference between what is a copyright versus what is a trademark in terms of literature and world building? Sure. So copyright is basically the protection of your artistic expression. It attaches automatically when you create it and fix it. So if we are just bullshitting, it isn't. But if you're taping our bullshit, that's copyrighted. So does that mean I have to put the little copyright C on things, or is it just understood? Or how it is, is it just automatically, it is... magically attached. Ah. You do not have to put anything on it at all. But there is this thing in America where people talk about registering their copyrights. That's right. Which does not happen in the UK at all. You do have to register for certain things. So you don't have to register your copyright to have it. You have copyright whether you register or not. If you register, you get a bunch of benefits, like, for example, some automatic damages. You don't have to show that you were really damaged when someone copied your stuff. You automatically get statutory damages, up to $150,000 for an infringement. So it's pretty serious. Um, And you cannot sue someone for copyright infringement until you have registered your copyright. But you may register your copyright at any time. So I could say register my copyright of episode one if somebody else had copied it, got a transcription, and then read it online and because it was awesome? Yes, but if you register it after they've done so, or more than three months after you recorded it, then you don't get the statutory damages. So that means then you'd have to prove that you were actually damaged and how much damage they cost to you by doing so. Does it have to be in print or could I say that writers drinking copy is copyrighted to the individuals who are in it? It is copyrighted to the individuals who are in it. So right. you would jointly own it. Yes. yes. Okay. Um, well, that's so what I was saying. Copyright. Do I need to, can I just say this is copyright or do I need to put it on my website? This is you, copyright. You don't even have to say it. It is copyright. Beautiful. You recorded it. You created it. It is your copyright. Magnificent. So trademarks, on the other hand, protect basically the it's it's meant to protect the source of something so when you buy a james bond story you know that that is an authorized james bond story because you know who it's from 
And same for if you're buying an Apple computer. When you buy a computer that has an Apple on it, you better hope that it was made by Apple computers, not by you know some company that was making a knockoff. So trademarks are designed to protect the consumer of goods, and that includes literature as well. So that means that th certain things can be copy, uh, trademarked. For example, the Starfleet logo can be the word Starfleet. All kinds of things of that nature can be also trademarked. You usually can't copyright, for example, a catchphrase, but you so, can trademark it. So what you're saying is you're fired can't be trademarked or did no, they try? No, it could be trademarked. I actually don't know if they did. Okay. But uh, <laughs> but they couldn't copyright it because it is a, mm. it's just like a slogan. It's a thing you say. Yes, yeah. exactly. So for, from a literature perspective, things you cannot trademark generally are book titles, but you can trademark a series title. Okay. So if you have a series of, you know, the great adventures of whatever the heck, and you have just a series of books under that, that name, then that is trademarkable. Okay. Um, and then particularly, you know, things like the names of that you created are also trademarkable as sources. Like Nancy Drew series with, yes. uh, with the collection of writers that were Carolyn Keene or the collection of writers that were Dixon writing for Hardy Boys. So exactly does right. J.K. Rowling have a trademark on Harry Potter the name? Yes, she absolutely does. And what? actually, I suspect that she doesn't own that. Her publisher, her publisher. does. Okay. And then I'm suspecting that Paramount, who I think who produced Will've... them, also has a trademark sure. for the movies. But does that mean I can't write a book called Why Harry Potter Sucks? Because... <laughs> what an well, interesting question. Can he? And now we get into the very interesting question. Yes, that is certainly a violation of trademark. Right. But there is potentially a fair use argument, right. which... Fair use is basically a defense. It means you've already conceded that you violated someone's copyright or trademark, but you have a reason for it. Mm -hmm. And so it shouldn't be illegal to do it in your case. So usually you don't want to get to the fair use question because it is a fuzzy question and it is something that you use as a defense. Yeah. But once you get there, then we can talk about parody and mm -hmm. criticism and mm -hmm. why parody and criticism often are fair use. Oh, tell me about parody. I mean, I, I grew up loving Harvard Lampoon. Mm -hmm. So Board of the Rings is magnificent Absolutely. to me, as is Dune. Yes. How, how does that, how, tell me about that gray area then of parody. So fair use is, is it kind pink? of... A, what color is parody? <laughs> parody is definitely not pink. Okay. Maybe gray? Gray area. Gray. I like gray. Gray is parody. Okay. <laughs> but then pink well, and gray. Yeah. <laughs> on the spectrum, maybe. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So the, the thing is, if you're parodying the actual content, you have a much better argument for fair use. So if you are making a, a joke about why Lord of the Rings is so dreadfully boring, but Board of the Rings, that is likely to be fair use for a couple of reasons. It's a four-factor test. And... Uh, all, as, in, as in all legal things, it is fuzzy. So it mm. ends up being what, what comes after it. Are you impacting the... How is much it, of it are you using? Stop one second. Rewinding just a little bit. Yes. Tell me about the four factors. Tell me what, what four I'm factors make up that. So you're going to have to pause that because uh, okay. I don't want to paraphrase. Give me a second. So Judith, what are the four factors that you have to test for? So the four factors are the purpose and character of, you, of use, where parody is in fact something that is a good purpose. Okay. I always um, thought so. Yes. The nature of the copyrighted work, how creative is it? Okay. Uh, the amount and substantiality of the portion taken, how closely are you copying or sure. how much of it are you copying, yeah. and the effect on the work itself right. in the marketplace. Is it going to damage the sales of Lord of the Rings? If exactly. Somebody, yeah. And the answer is it's not likely it's, to damage no. the rules. It is parody. And the purpose and character is to make to do a parody, right? Yes, to make people so, laugh. Exactly. But it is creative. So two mm -hmm. factors here weigh for the copyright holder, but the nature of the copyrighted work, which is it was very creative. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you're taking substantial 
substantially all of it, right? Because they're parodying right. the whole line. Right. But two of the factors weigh for the parody, okay. which is that it is it is in fact making fun of the story itself, yeah. and that it is not likely to have any effect whatsoever on the underlying marketplace. And does the does the final result depend on balancing two against yes. two? Yes. It does. So, so it's, it comes down entirely to the judge or jury or whatever. It, to a great extent, yes. And right. that's why you never want to have a fair use question in your life. Right? I, because in right. the end, it comes down to yeah. a balancing factor. And all the, all the factors don't weigh the same. Yeah. Like a parody is a little bit of a stronger weight than how big a thing it is. And then there's one note, mm. which is parody is not using the format, but actually making fun of the subject. So the Cat in the Hat parody, the, the I don't know if you heard about this, there's an O.J. Simpson, uh, a parody that made fun of O.J. Simpson in the form of the Cat in the Hat. Okay. <laughs> um, that was not a parody, because while it was parodying O.J. Simpson, it had nothing to do with the underlying work. So it wasn't parodying the underlying work. Ooh, right. isn't that interesting? It was just yeah. using its format yeah. to, to, to commentary on something entirely unrelated. So parody is specifically about so, making so, fun of or addressing the underlying work itself. Nice. Okay. All right. So I can, you know, make a, a sort of a duck with seven herbs and spices for original recipe. <laughs> and so I'm kind of making fun of Kentucky Fried Chicken through a duck. Yes. Okay. Right. But if you are using the seven herbs and spices to make fun of something entirely unrelated, mm. yes. I don't know, uh, people who like cats, something, yes. then you are then you are further you, removed you, you, from parody yeah. as the legal yeah. so world. So you, you lose that protection. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So mockery. So how does that work, for instance, in the music world, thinking of like Weird Al Yankovic, who said he goes out absolutely, dear Madonna, can I make right like a surgeon instead of like a virgin? That's correct. So he gets he gets permission right. for everything does he, he does. He I, does. Did, I did not know He that. explicitly gets permission right. for everything he does, yeah. which is the right way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, could he potentially... Uh, or say that it is a parody? Yes, absolutely. Because it's not making really, I mean, he is making fun of the topic as well mm -hmm. and of the artist, right? And so that's why you could have an argument. I, don't, I think he deliberately avoids having mm. that argument, which makes sure. good sense. Yes. Is there, it, does that have to do with my understanding? What if I didn't like your parody? Like uh, Gangster's Paradise, my understanding was he did Amish Paradise, which was a brilliant song, I thought. Mm -hmm. But they decided that that was making fun of them too much. And so they, uh, quote, suddenly didn't remember giving permission. And, and this was, I don't know how, I don't know how the end of this court case went. I just saw it on TV. So, well, I can tell you how it went, which is that he got permission because it's still playing. If he hadn't, it would no longer be on there. Right. Excellent. So, uh, going back to, you had a question on, uh, words and the trademarking of words. Like what about that romance novel case of the cocky buccaneer, the cocky, <laughs> the cocky yes. chef? So remember that trademark, you can't trademark a single book, but a, ser a book series. So somebody uh, whose name I don't recall trademarked the word cocky in connection with a romance novel series. I'll go try to look that up for us for uh, That's later. Right. Yeah. Oh, you should go look on Twitter for yeah. the cocky. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's, it's, very, it's there, was, there is a Twitter hashtag that I don't remember, but it was huge fun. It, it, oh, was huge it fun consumed the internet for weeks. Oh, magnificent. It really, did. it really did. Because the problem is it's a very common word. And you know, in, in, in romance lingo, in romance. Yeah. Yeah. cocky is a descriptor of half the heroes, right? They're <laughs> oh. all, and it, it's got a little bit of a sexual tone to mm -hmm. it, right? Because cocky. No, really? <laughs> no, really. That means like a chicken, right? Yes, yes absolutely. Yes, that's exactly what it means. Like yeah. a rooster. Like Please. a rooster. Um, Chanticleer. <laughs> but the point is that it was a very commonly used term so it was very difficult but the 
the trademark office didn't find anything that was spot on and they allowed it. And then she sued someone and yes. then the internet blew up and then her registration was challenged successfully. Mm -hmm. I might yes. add. So actually she withdrew it, I think in the end. But the point is that you can trademark a book series. So for example, the Harry Potter series is absolutely trademarked. Right? Okay. So if for instance, my fabulous book got picked up and taken and turned into a TV series, my darling Bluebird could then be trademarked as yes. nobody could ever use Bluebird in association with a uh, FBI violence agents and, and violence and slaughter and <laughs> Possibly. For, for computer forensic investigations. Now, so. there, is, there is another aspect of fair use, which is fair use by reference, so nominative fair use. Okay. When you're using a term, this is more for trademarks, when you're using a term to refer to the product itself, that's, that's all right, right? So if I want to go talk about Disney, which was very, very litigious in, in the trademark world, yes. I can say Mickey Mouse all day long when I'm talking about Disney's Mickey Mouse. Right. right. I can't say Mickey Mouse and use it to refer to some other product because that's potentially a violation. But or or the term we use and what's kind of Mickey Mouse operation yes. are you running here, which to us means you know <laughs> roughshod Ooh. and somewhat cartoonish. <laughs> I'm just saying we used to use it all the time. So I don't know how Disney would feel about that. I don't. <laughs> And much I don't like, want to find much out. like we, when I looked at Microsoft and I referred to things as Microsoft Tuesday, they got a little grumpy at me. <laughs> Did they really? I know, right? It's like I would think, well, it's Super Tuesday. What do you call it? Because the second Tuesday of every month well, is when they release their patches, and yeah. God bless them because they are awesome and they're transparent and they're wonderful. And I really do love Microsoft, not just because I work there, but. Um, I refer to it as Microsoft Tuesday, and everybody else on my team's like, "What? Wait, no, don't call it that." Don't call it that. <laughs> yes. But well, what about the Star Wars universe? I mean, there it was so interesting that they changed things and the things that were canon or not canon now. And can you? How does <laughs> that change? Yes. <laughs> how do you retcon whether? Oh, this is totally a Star Wars book. Wait, now it's not. Now it's fanfic. What is? How does that work? So there's actually a case about that. Um, which is uh, somebody made a fan film of in the world, yes. in the universe, right? Yes, they did. did they? What was yes. it? I how, did I, how did I not see this? I have yes. no idea. How did you not see this? this? Uh, we they we actually, will find that. It's still out there, I think. Yes, they actually settled. Um, yeah. But Ch check our liner notes later. We'll find a link and put it there for you. But okay, they settled. How did it? How did it uh, end up? I mean, I presume I wanted to say I'm going to make my own speeder in my backyard, and I can make a whole film, and I've got thousands of dollars to spend on this. Uh, Paramount Pictures versus Axanar. Axanar. Star Trek fanfiction, that one is. Okay, sorry. Star Trek, not yes. Star Wars. Ooh, yeah. I'm going to get in trouble. Um, Suddenly we're all talking about Star Trek, and that's okay. So Star Trek, same, <laughs> same general idea. Yes. I, want to, I want to write about uh, my life in a meditation retreat on Vulcan because Vulcan decided they could make money out of rich people uh, from Earth coming and wanting to go to their meditation techniques. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I wrote a story. And can I sell it? Can I publish it? How does it? Can you? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. Should you? That's a very interesting and very different question. Um, but, you know, if you want to not get in trouble at all, the easiest way to do that is to change the name. You're yeah. no longer going to Vulcan. You're going to Planet X. And you're no longer... You know, learning the Vulcan death grip, you're learning the, I don't know, the magical something or other. So if you change the name, it's suddenly not a trademark issue or a copyright issue in many ways. So, 
So if you take the if you take a product that you write as a fan fiction, yes. and then you remove those parts that really belong to someone else, yes. right? The high level concepts can't be protected by copyright. Right. So for example, Boy Wizard can't be protected by copyright. So if you just remove the names and a lot of times and let's say the planet name and the name mm -hmm. of the you know the magic whatever potion it is, then you can remove it from that issue of fan fiction and create an entirely new product. Much like the author of Fifty Shades of Grey did, when she removed the character, changed the character names, yes. and kept the storyline, um, much of the storyline. Yes. Um, but on the other hand, by taking out the the thing that is popularly recognised and known, you're losing most of the audience you were probably originally writing for. That is true. You're losing their brand recognition. Hi, sorry yeah. to step in late, it's John again, but. Uh, that's exactly the point of copyright. You can't take their developed audience. You have to go develop your own, which sitting in front of someone who actually is a lawyer, not just on the internet, I hesitate to make definitive statements, but I would think that's the point of copyright is to have what they consider part of their intellectual property protected. In this case, a well-developed distribution channel, which we would call an audience. But to a certain extent, I don't even, and, and this kind of is starting to drift a little bit more into licensing, does J.K. Rowling have the ability to tell me over Twitter, sure, I can write a story in her universe now, or is that owned by somebody else? That is a matter of licensing, absolutely. I suspect her publisher has some rights, so she couldn't say, yes, feel free to write a book, because her publisher has the right to the her product in that way. Um, that said, she's... Oh. I'm not sure well. that because you license copyright to the publisher, mm -hmm. um, but you certainly in the UK, um, we have moral rights as well. Oh. And I Tell us about, wait, what are moral rights? I mean, you're, you're saying, you <laughs> said that so casually. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's and the become, Americans are so flabbergasted. We I know. Morals? We, we, <laughs> no, 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 we don't have morals. We have moral rights. It's very, Tell us very what strong moral difference. rights uh, my, my understanding of moral rights, which I'm sure Judith will clarify for me, because, you know, I'm not, I'm not articulate like that. Um, as, as the writer, I... I have created this world, it is mine, I am entitled to defend it um, against um, terrors and dangers of the night. Um, if, if my publisher decides they want to publish an anthology of, okay, if I'm J.K. Rowling, Harry Potter stories, I don't think they can do that without my explicit consent, whatever kind of contract I've signed with them. That's sort of true. Uh, for, so they could certainly pr produce an anthology because that doesn't alter your work. But if they, let's say, wanted to create a new book out of snippets of your old book, that they couldn't do almost regardless of what you did because the form of your creative work is protected. So the idea is originally, let's say I painted a mural on a wall. Mm. Someone wants to remove it. I have a right to that, even if I have sold it and it, it doesn't belong to me because I have a right to uh, for other people not to modify my artistic mm. creation which is under my name, yeah. even even if I have licensed the right to use it to someone else. Yeah, I, I, I see, I think that Joanne is smart enough that she will, she will keep the trademark and copyright and da-da-da-da-da under her own control rather than licensing that to a publisher. 
And I, the answer to that is we don't know. We don't know. We, right. we, we haven't seen the contracts. But that's right. Yeah. So going back to the original question, can she on Twitter explicitly give the right for another book out? We won't know until we see the contract. In general use, however, my understanding, which is very limited, would be no. No one writes a contract which says you can give away the product. Well, let's ask about licensing because didn't you were just telling me earlier, but when I first talked her into it, there's an interesting case for Peter Beagle, Peter S. Beagle. Right. Well, that was a that that is a let's go with systemic problem of Hollywood that he got that he had, which is that they created the last unicorn movies I, and yeah. they didn't pay him, even though there was some those pig fuckers. <laughs> Well, there you go. <laughs> so he had to hire a forensic accountant and go after them. And he then he also had some other problems with his the person who represented yes. him, who yeah. also didn't pay him. Pay him. So yeah. he got into he had a lot of problems. There's are licensing issues and, and accounting issues, which are really I think beyond the scope of this. But the point is that how you license things really matters. Do read all your licenses, right? What? If you're working with a publisher, know what you're giving them. Yeah. Is there a short, you know, little set of data? Because I know there's books on the topic. Uh, Kit, Catherine Kerr gave me gave me one saying, this is what you should know about contracts and things. But is there a summary that you would say rights or reproductive rights versus uh, licensing? What's, what is a big, huge pitfall that you guys have, would well, recommend? I mean, the three things that you need I'm, to know is... And hold it. Wait yeah. a second. You're not my lawyer. Say yeah. that. I'm sorry. That's We're right. going to say this disclaimer here. That's right. I am not your lawyer. <laughs> this is not legal advice in any way. This is general discussion of the law. Right. right. So just to be clear. Okay. The Absolutely. Disclaimer is there. We'll write it at the bottom in, in black and white. So. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Okay. Well, Absolutely. Now so let the, me go. Back. So tell me what I should do. <laughs> <laughs> the three big factors are what's the geographic scope, right? Are they publishing just in the US mm -hmm. or worldwide? Europe, all of Europe, any individual countries. So scope of the places they can publish. What formats can they publish? Are they publishing paper? Are they publishing e-publishing as well? Do they give do you give them that right as well? And then the other one is can they co convert it into other formats? Do they have any rights if you get optioned for a movie? Um, do, so those are kind of the, the scopes of the of the license that you need to be aware of. That makes sense. So for instance, if I publish my short stories like I have on Amazon, I clicked, I absolutely want to be sold in all of these different countries. And I kind of then Amazon is acting as my proxy to get me profit from it, but they own the license in those countries. Is that correct? That's right. Which means that let's, if a publisher in that country comes to you and says, hey, I would like to publish your thing in you know, Croatia, you may not be able to give them that license okay. because Unless you've already you... given that to Amazon and it may be exclusive. I have not read Amazon's yeah, contract. But, but you, can, you can take it back from Amazon at any time. Can you? Yes. Oh, interesting. Okay, so that, again, yeah, license do, terms, read the license terms. Yeah, can you absolutely. terminate? How can yeah. you terminate? What happens if you terminate? What if they've already printed books? Can you terminate then? What happens then, right? So these are this is why you read the contract very carefully I, before you sign it. I have my, my friend Alexander Voynev has had problems getting permissions on books back from publishers that oh, sure. tried to do things. Yes. yes. So, yes. And that's actually another one to be aware of, which is that if they don't ever publish, so if they mm -hmm. get your book, they get your rights, and then they choose not to publish it, how do you get it back after a time? After yeah. time? So often those licenses have an expiration. If they didn't so, actually bother to print your book in five years, yeah. you get your rights back. Yeah, re reversion, reversion of rights is, mm -hmm. is such an issue, especially these days with, with electronic publishing, um, because authors have 
a lot more options now. I, when I when I started publishing back in the back in the day, um, it was it was automatic. You signed a, a contract with a publisher would be for the period of copyright, which is you know my own lifetime plus fifty years. It was then. It's seventy now, um, and and that was it. They were your publisher for that book. Um, in the intermediate time, authors have got smarter, agents have got sharper. Um, the world has opened up. And now, I mean, half, you know, all my early books are out of print with the original publisher. I have the rights back to some of them. Um, some of them we are still writing to the publisher monotonously often, saying, please give back our... Because we need a letter from them saying yes. that rights have reverted to us. Uh, we are not getting those letters. They are just ignoring them without actually exploiting the property in any way themselves. It's, it's, it drives me insane. So if I can ask a quick question, have any of the publishing houses that you, that have the rights for these books gone, been conglomerated, gone out of oh, business? Oh, yeah. Okay, so that's... Wait, what does that mean? If, if I sold it to John Incorporated, for instance, and then John Incorporated went out of business because they were idiots in six months... Hey. Just what, I, what happens? How could you go out of business publishing Genie? So the, right? the, the answer is, again, it depends on the contract. Yeah. But most contracts will say we can assign the rights. So when they go out of business, usually in bankruptcy, that means that they usually sell their assets. And yes. their assets include your book. Yes, and you suddenly find yourself being published by somebody you never agreed to be published by. Exactly right. Hmm. Which can be really awkward if it's an awful publisher. Yes. Right? I, it's, so... Yeah, um, um, quick, quick quick story um i wrote a, a fantasy series which we submitted to publishers a and b publisher a turned it down didn't like it at all publisher b Jerks. loved it bought it published it went out of business sold everything to publisher a so i found i found my book actually being published by somebody who didn't want to publish it in the first place that's Dark, it did not do well. Darkly hilarious. Well, it didn't, because if they didn't like it, yeah, then they don't they, they promote it. Yeah, they put no support so. behind it at exactly all. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What about, um, you were saying, Sherlock Holmes has an interesting case, because I've, I now desperately, I desperately want to write a Sherlock Holmes story. Go right ahead. Please. But make sure he's early Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> That's right. How do, so I can't do anything about, there There was something about the older Sherlock Holmes, The Beekeeper's Apprentice, for instance, is right. a great book, and I love yes. it. And it sort of seems like Mr. Holmes, the movie, was based roughly on that book, or was it I haven't something? seen the movie. I don't Having know. seen the movie, I believe it was, but okay. unless we But it's it, like it somebody said, oh, what a great idea. I like this book that you've written, which was on The Later yeah. Life, and then they created a movie on it, but I don't think that author got the credit for all that they deserved credit for. Right. Oh, interesting. So, I mean, there's two, two, quest two parts to that question. One is... Early Sherlock Holmes is out of copyright. It's old enough that it's expired copyright on the very early books, which means that you can use the Sherlock Holmes character in a lot of the settings now. Right. Hence, freely, right? You know, A Study in Scarlet was his first published work, and then you have A Study in Emerald was the brilliant story that Neil Gaiman wrote yes. based on but, A Study in Scarlet. But A Study in Emerald doesn't... Is it a Holmes story? It doesn't really mention... Yeah, it does. It's the same. Oh, he could have yeah. removed that line. Yeah, he could. He yes. could take it out. But but, but that's this. But, but that's still early. So where 
I mean, do, do, for those of us, do we have to be a Sherlock Holmes scholar to know what was early Holmes versus late Holmes or when did... You just have to tread a little lightly. So is this before or after Watson's third wife? What are we talking about? Right. So the answer, remember that when we were talking about it at the beginning, it said the concept you can abstract, right? Mm. So having a brilliant detective who is into drugs and has a sidekick, you can do that any day. You can use the Sherlock Holmes name, which gives you a lot of the backstory, because that is, Mm -hmm. again, now out, right? Mm -hmm. So you're all right for that. But if you're using details from his later stories, very specific details, I don't know what they are, then potentially you're walking back into Mm -hmm. going from the abstract Mm -hmm. into the specific. I it becomes an interesting question. And by the way, you can publish it as a Sherlock Holmes book because that's probably trademarked. Okay. So I, how are they expired. doing all of the anthologies then now? Because I see, I, I buy them whenever they come out, just so you know. So feel free, world, to uh, keep putting up new Sherlock Holmes anthologies because I read them. Yeah. You know, Sherlock Holmes and the Silk Road was a Sherlock just Holmes read novel. Anthologies. You play Sherlock Holmes games. I do. I <laughs> I totally. As we, in your spare time. If, if anybody has you an up there, around cities, playing, dragging <laughs> your friends with you, playing. Okay, Google. that was just that one time. <laughs> write the books. You have an audience. Write the books. I'm, I'm just saying, we actually bought the game Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, which is a great game. It is a great game, and I played with two friends via Skype who lived in different parts of the planet and we all bought the game and we all took turns playing and exactly by the rules okay i want to visit the tobacconist i'm going to go read this to you guys now and then and then you do what you want to do so it was a really neat way for all of us to be baker street irregulars while being on different parts of the planet so there is a way that sherlock holmes has lent itself to whole new forms of education but I'm betting that I can't make a game out of it without asking somebody for permission. I'm guessing that is correct, that you'd have to ask his estate for permission mm-hmm. to make a Sherlock Holmes game. And right. I'm, I'm guessing that they did, that whoever yeah. made that game did right. do that. And, and there's been a few, you know, the Sherlock yeah. Holmes games. There's, you know, just the logic puzzle Sherlock Holmes games. There's, mm-hmm. yeah. Exactly. And there's, aren't there Sherlock Holmes video? I haven't seen video games. So if you've got one, please write in to us and tell us about a Sherlock Holmes video game so that I can obsessively play it. Um, and talk about it and obsessively. talk about it obsessively. Like and it was share with your friends obsessively. obsessively in the best kind of way. You guys are making me sound like I'm obsessed with him or something. You're not obsessed with Sherlock Holmes. A little bit. You're obsessed with Batman. Yeah. If you want an intelligent detective? Yeah. Get a rich one. Pat Holmes, Sherlock Holmes man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. You have my superhero. <laughs> He flies through the streets and then puffs a pipe. And oh no, no, clients. pipes is very bad now. He doesn't even vape. I'm going to have oh, something new. There was this. There was this wonderful time when um 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 what's um t- American TV detective um played by Tally Savalas Kojak 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 used to suck lollipops mm-hmm. and. The American Dental Association or some such thing complained because kids were sucking lollipops in imitation and they were doing damage to their teeth, to which the TV company responsible replied, you're absolutely right, and I'm delighted to announce that from now on, Kojak will be sucking fewer fewer lollipops. He'll be smoking more cigars instead. Oh, dear. (laughs) Well, it was cigarettes, come on, Columbo. 
speaking of my other favorite, yes. mm-hmm. you know, Columbo at the end of it. Well, just one question more, yes. he would say. And it was always like this. Yes. This is, this is a noise made by mouth. my cigarette being held yes. and my yes. fake fingers here. So, well, yeah. Now, now we're close to the other beautiful contractual thing, product placement. There's <laughs> <laughs> a little less in books and a little more in media representations. Another place where copyright lawyers and property lawyers and contracts. Because how many stories, books get auctioned to be made into movies and don't make it? Well, I am dying to know who bought, because Sherlock Holmes is in the movies, you know, Robert Downey Jr. I, of course, did not sit in that coffee shop right by his front door near Venice Beach watching for him to come out or anything. It's a really good lattes there. But those books clearly were licensed. But now, do I own anything to those films if I reference events in the films or where does that go So again it depends on the level of abstraction right if you are just referencing you know a fight on the docks you're fine if you are then being very specific about exact scenario or the bad guy's name and all of that then you're treading into problematic waters that is a beautiful and clear difference so i could I, I might not be able to use hobbits. Wait, we Tolkien. We discussed Tolkien's rights. <laughs> <laughs> you can use hobbits. It's all right. I can use hobbits, filthy, nasty hobbitses, or halflings as they are. I think the generic term now is halflings or boggies if you happen to like really old Dragon Quest before they sold it and ruined it. <laughs> mm, or certain other stories. But, yeah. So, yes. Again, that's old enough that I is think it? you're all right. I think you should be all right now. Um, but, Three. I mean, copyright is... Author's death plus 70 70. years. And Tolkien died in 73 or 74, which is less than 70 years ago. That is less than 70 years ago. I have to double check, but everybody uses them. So I always assume that either the copyright expired, which is quite possible because copyrights used to expire. Not so much anymore. The other thing is some terms just enter parliaments. Use Xerox. Ooh. I know. (laughs) We just made our lawyer cringe here. (laughs) Xerox takes out full page ads saying you photocopy with a Xerox machine, thank you. <laughs> so, and Band-Aids are Band-Aids. That's just, a, you know, whatever it's called, Blowing a sticky plaster nose. thingy. I, we, in, in the UK, we just call them plasters. Exactly, which is the generic name yeah. for Band-Aids. Band-Aids is a product yeah. name. It is, in fact, trademarked. Yeah. And so is Xerox. And this, so is Google, even though you Google something on mm-hmm. Bing, right? I, and I think that's genius by the Google marketing people. Mm-hmm. But you, now, you know, a discussion we haven't had because we're talking about when can you gleefully write off of someone else's ideas is how hard do you want to defend yours and that is in fact part of the reason why fan fiction exists is because most companies don't want to become you know be known as the assholes who made that stop right right? so they will let you much of fan fiction is in fact a copyright violation it is simply not enforced so this is why my friend can't draw a picture of a stormtrooper and put it on a T-shirt because they'll give a they season. Will. Yeah. And in the end, because all of that is now owned by Disney and I'm hoping they keep their paws off of Star Trek, but who knows what's coming next. But so don't trust Disney. They're litigious. They'll go after anybody. Is that what we're hearing? Give up, write your own universe. <laughs> Definitely a safer place to be is to not use their universe. They have been very litigious in especially enforcing their trademarks, but also their copyrights. And there there have been mushes and games online based on different gaming systems, World of Darkness, for instance, or some of my early mushing was on Dune, Dune-based mushes. But then there was also a MUD, which is a multi-user dungeon, dungeon. 
uh, which involves stomping around Penzik, and Penzik in the SCA Society for Creative Anachronism sent them a cease and desist order, which we all thought meant that they had no like sense of humor whatsoever because that's stupid. Right, but, and that's in fact much of what protects the fan fiction in the real world, especially online fan fiction, is that most people don't want to be humorless and, and mm. have a problem. But if you're thinking you want to publish it in paper... If you're, if then, you're going to actually make money out of it. Exactly. Right. Okay. That actually is a really nice thing. So what do you want to make money? If you just want to put your fan fiction out there, uh, I encourage you all to write about uh, Bluebird or any of my other stories <laughs> and help me get the word out. Available on Amazon. Not yet. Not yet. Oh. I have not given up on a real publisher yet. But oh, your other stories. Though. Other stories, though. So fan fiction, do it. Try not to make money on it. You're probably better off not publishing a short story or submitting a short story in a world into these because... Yeah. But again, many times you can abstract from the world, remove the mm -hmm. issues that are copyrighted. Mm -hmm. and, then, and still have a decent I mean, story. Still there are a story. lot of versions of Harry Dresden Wizard that are not Harry Dresden Wizard out there. Yeah. So, yeah. And yeah. there's a lot of boy wizards out there. Uh, way too many. There's <laughs> <laughs> no such thing. We will, we'll try to put links to, we have talked about a lot today that we mentioned on the website, which is www.writersdrinkingcoffee.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Judith, thank you so much for joining us today. Round of applause for Judith out there. Yay! <laughs> You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre McGaffey-Schween, and our sound engineer and backup web spider is David Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Maid Milking a Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with a Morning Person, both by Michael Engberg. You can hear more from Michael Engberg on Spotify. Today's sponsor was Balls Out Podcasting, except me. Mm -hmm.